And the title of the sermon today is going to be Free to Serve. Free to Serve. So if you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, turning them to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. And before we stand, I'm just going to give us an intro to the passage and uh, an illustration that will kind of get us started and get our minds thinking in the right direction. But I want to tell you a story about when I was 22 years old, and I decided that I was going to trade my truck in for a brand new one. Well, later on, I realized that was a, a terrible choice. Um, nothing against new car dealerships or car salesmen or new car dealers, but that was a bad choice, especially for me at the time. But anyways, I found the truck I wanted, and I went to the sales office at the dealership. The salesman started writing down all these numbers that involved the price for the new truck and what the dealership would pay me for my old truck. Little did I know, the salesman did not inform me of all the details in the deal. Now, I went over the paperwork later on when I got home and started looking at some things and realized everything was not what I thought it was. Now, the question is, was the salesman wrong? Was what he did wrong? Well, no, he didn't lie to me. He didn't uh, falsify anything and, and try to make me believe something that wasn't true. But he did use the freedom that he had in probably not the best way. And what I want us to understand this morning is, is that we have the freedom to do a lot of things. Even as believers, we have the freedom to do a lot of things. There's some things in Scripture that are not black and white. There's some things in Scripture that's debatable on whether or not we should or should not do them. But what we need to understand is, is that our freedom that God has given us is not freedom to just do whatever we want, but it's freedom to serve others. It's freedom to think about others before we act. Even if what we're doing may be perfectly fine and perfectly right, and, and there may not be anything in the Scripture against it, if it offends our brother or sister, or if it causes someone else to stumble, we really need to be careful in how we exercise our freedom to do those things because we were called to serve others first and foremost. We were called to think of others before ourselves. So that's what this sermon is going to be about this morning. So um, if you will, go ahead and stand to your feet, and we're going to read those three verses in Galatians chapter 5. And we stand because we honor the Word of God, and it's absolute truth, objective truth, and it never changes. So we can rest on the foundation of Scripture and all that we believe. So beginning in verse 13 of Galatians 5, the Bible says this, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for your holy word, your inerrant word, infallible word that you wrote through men of old who were inspired to write these very words down. Lord, help us to never um, treat it uh, in a way that's not respectful. Help us to never treat your word anything less than honorable because, Lord, we know your words are eternally true. Your words give us life. And, Lord, we're so thankful for this Bible today. And as we read these words that you gave Paul to write to the churches in Galatia, and also as an extension to us, I pray that you would encourage our hearts as we live in this great freedom that you've given us and that you purchased for us with your own blood. But also, Lord, that you would convict our hearts that we would not use our freedom in an evil or a wicked way that would cause harm to others. Lord, we lift this time up into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to discuss three realities to the freedom that we enjoy in Christ. Three realities. And these all three are mentioned here in these three verses. The first one is living free is a calling. Living free is a calling. So that's that first reality 
to the freedom that we enjoy. It's a calling. If you see there in the beginning of verse 13, the Bible says this, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Now he's reiterating what he's already said earlier on in verse 1 of chapter 5. Remember what he said there? For freedom, Christ has set us free. But then in verse 13, Paul goes a step further and he calls the freedom that we have in Christ a calling. In other words, we were called to be free. Now, being called is something that is very important in the Christian life because it's a lot different than us just making a decision on our own. God, when he saved us, he initially, when he saved us, he called us to be free. He freed us from our bondage to sin. He freed us from that slave master known as sin. He freed us from that master known as the law. And he freed us from our own inability to be righteous. And he gave us his own righteousness and freed us from those things. But he has also called us to continue to live in a lifestyle of freedom, to continue to live day in and day out in a mindset of spiritual freedom. Because what we've seen and what we've talked about throughout this series is, is there's a lot of people who have truly come to know Christ, and then at some time after they begin to slip into this legalism of trying to do X, Y, and Z to please God or try to do X, Y, and Z to be more spiritual. And we understand that there is nothing that we can do really to earn our righteousness, nothing that we can do to earn God's favor, that God infinitely loved us while we were yet sinners. And the only way that we can do anything pleasing to God is through his own power, not through ours. So Paul is dealing with this right here, and I wanted to kind of give you an example so that you could really understand the magnitude of what a calling is. So, you know, you might be in a place in your life where you're making a big career decision. Maybe there's a choice in front of you, maybe to leave your current job and take a new job. Or maybe there's a big choice in front of you about whether or not you should make a big purchase. Or maybe there's a big decision in front of you about a relationship. Maybe it's marriage, or maybe it's reuniting with someone, a family member or a friend that you had uh, parted with some time back. There's a lot of decisions that we're presented with throughout life. And there's a lot of decisions that we can make without God. Without God's input, without God uh, speaking to us about that. That's not a wise decision, let me tell you, but people do it all the time. They make their own decisions based upon their own wisdom or their own knowledge. And when they make those decisions, that's simply them deciding what they're going to do. The difference between that and a calling, though, is when God speaks to us. When God comes our way and he speaks to us individually about a specific matter and he calls us and leads us to do what he wants us to do. Now here the Bible is speaking that this freedom that we have in Christ is not just us up and deciding one day that we wanted to be free from our sin. It's not us just up and deciding that we're going to make the choice to be free, but it's God calling us to freedom and us responding to his call. In other words, he decided who he would call to be free, and then we must respond yes or no. The thing I want you to see here is that God is initiating this. He is initiating the call for us to be free and those of us who know Christ, the moment we said yes to Jesus, we responded to that call of freedom and we said, yes, I want to be free, Lord. It's very important that we always remember that we did not seek after God, that we did not first love God, that we did not decide one day that we wanted God. He initiated the salvation that we experience today. And if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, it's because maybe you've rejected that call that God has placed in your life, or maybe he has not called you yet. But be listening and be ready because the Bible teaches that today is the day of salvation and now is the accepted time. And if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, today you can do that. Today you can say yes 
to that calling that he has placed on your life. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, it really sums up this idea of what a calling is. Uh, In verse 28, it says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. That's a very popular verse. Who are called according to his purpose. Did you hear that? Who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Verse 30, And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called... He also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So as we're thinking about our freedom to serve others, we need to understand that if we know Christ today, he has called us to live free. And he has freed us in order that we may serve other people. In order that we may live for him and share the light of the gospel with a lost and a dying world. Really, Christianity is not self-focused. It's others-focused. And when we start to exemplify what it means From Christ's perspective to love others, that's when we begin to touch the heart of God. Because see, when Jesus came and he died for us on the cross, that was our prime example. Because number one, he did not deserve the punishment that he took. He was perfect and he was holy. Number two, it did not limit him from being God by not coming. He could have not come to this earth and not died for us and still be God. He had nothing to gain and everything to lose. There there was nothing in it for Jesus when he died for us on that cross, but he did it anyways. You know what the Bible teaches? The reason why he did it was love, because he loved us. Because he loved us when we did not deserve it, when we did not seek after him, when we did not love him first. He came our way, and he called us to live free, and I'm so thankful that he came my way many years ago. So the second reality to the freedom that we enjoy in Christ is this. Living free is a responsibility, okay? Not only is it a calling, but it is a responsibility. In the second part of verse 13, if you'll look there in chapter 5, it says this. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You go down to verse 15, and he continues his warning about this responsibility. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Right there in verse 13, that second part of verse 13, you see the word opportunity. And that word opportunity in the Greek is a word called aphorize. And basically what aphorize means is it is a military term used to describe someone who abuses their rank or their power in the military. So it'd be someone who has a very high rank, who has a lot of power, and they use that power to benefit themselves, or they use that power to do immoral things, or they use that power to do things that that are sideways or under the table or underhanded. And it's, it's an abuse of a privilege, and it's the abuse of an honor that is given to someone. Well, in the same way, he's calling the freedom that God has called us to, this great responsibility, he's calling that a privilege. And he's saying, don't abuse the freedom that you have in Christ. Don't abuse this privilege that God has so graciously given you. We are free to serve others, but we are not free to sin. One example that I had was the Second Amendment. And we're Candler folks. We love the Second Amendment. There's no doubt in that. We like guns. I mean, there's probably enough guns owned in this church, probably right here on this front row, actually probably right there in that blue shirt, to to arm an entire community, okay? And there's probably about 10 more just like him, okay? 
there's enough guns that we could probably outfit a military, okay? Even if the United States was attacked, Candler, North Carolina would stand, and we would, become, we would become our own sovereign nation. That's how much we love the Second Amendment, okay? That's my point. That was a long way around, but I got there finally. But anyways, the Second Amendment says we have the right to bear arms, okay? Now, let me ask you this. Does the Second Amendment give us the right to go into First Citizens Bank and wave a gun around and, and pop off some rounds into the ceiling? Say, hey, guys, I'm here to uh, make a deposit. Pa, pa, pa. Huh? No. You say, well, Ben, I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, but your freedom through the Second Amendment doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want with your gun, okay? There are some reasonable limitations in the same way with our freedom that we have in Christ. There are a lot of things in Scripture that are not black and white that we have to answer, are we morally inclined to do these things or not? Is it wrong to do certain things or not? And if it's not black and white in Scripture, then you have the freedom to make the choice. You get to decide if this is something that is right to do or something that is wrong to do. It's called Christian liberty. But what he's saying here is he's saying be careful. Because just because you have the freedom to say yes to do this thing or to do that does not necessarily mean you should. And what he's talking about is he's talking about it's an other's focus, not a self-focus. So you say, well, I want to do this. I want to. But you've got to think it's not just about you in the Christian life. You've got to think about those around you. You've got to think about children that you're influencing. You've got to think about friends you're influencing. You've got to think about community members that you're influencing. And he's saying, don't use your freedom to be able to exercise all these things and not first think about those that you may negatively affect. Did you hear there in verse 13? Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Listen, don't use your freedom to sin and to say it's okay because Jesus will forgive me and I'll just do it and I'll ask him for forgiveness later. Hey, that's ungodly stuff. And that's using this, this freedom that Christ purchased for us with his own blood and it's using it for an opportunity for the flesh. It's using it for an opportunity for sin. In verse 15, he's warning them. He's saying, listen, sure, you can make these horrible choices, but this is what's gonna happen to you and your family and your church. If you'll look there in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Isn't it very interesting that society or groups or nations, the moment they begin to depart from the godly principles of Scripture, the society or the group begins to digress into chaos? And here's why. When you remove God, you devalue human life. Now, remember the greatest commands. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, to love him with everything you have. But the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you remove the value of humanity from a culture, you begin to digress into chaos because of verse 15. You bite and you devour one another. Watch out or you will be consumed by one another. One person may say, well, if I step on four people to get what I want, that's okay because I'm only doing it to four people and it won't affect everyone else. But if everyone starts to step on everyone else to get what they want, they begin to devour each other. Before you know it, you have a wasteland for a, for a country, you have a wasteland for a society, and you have a society that doesn't care about humanity anymore. And really, that's where we're headed now in the United States. Um, Albert Moeller calls it the culture of death. And what we're seeing now is a plea for people to have um, unrestricted abortion, we're hearing about these pleas 
for uh, infanticide even once the child is born. If the child survives the abortion, not to give the child medical care, which the state of Montana just recently voted against a law that would protect children who are born uh, after a botched abortion. Um, We also see that euthanasia is on the rise. We see that physicians-assisted suicide is on the rise. Oregon and Washington, um, if I'm not mistaken, both of those states have legalized physicians-assisted suicide for numerous reasons, Um, not just physical ailments, but also mental issues and all these other things that are going on. So what we're seeing is, is that you remove God from the society, and now you have a society that devalues human life. And you have a society that really devours one another for the betterment of themselves. And what happens is, is when people begin to do that, you start to realize just how essential Christianity is to the human race. Really, if you think throughout history, all the great orphanages, they started out as Christian ministries. All the great educational institutions started out as Christian institutions. Even all the Ivy League schools, they started out as Christian institutions. All the great universities in the United Kingdom were Christian universities. And, and, and you see how better the world is because of Christianity. Hey, listen, Christianity is the reason that we enjoy technology. Because Christianity, freedom is a Christian value. And societies who invest in freedom see people who innovate because they know they're going to get rewarded for their innovations. That's why there's countries across the ocean who are still living in, in, in rock huts and still... Um, you know, not driving cars and, and not doing a lot of things is because their society and their culture has not bred into them abundant life. And Christianity gives abundant life. It frees the mind that God gave us to be able to do great things. Christianity is a beautiful thing. And what we're seeing now is, is our culture is moving away from that and it's moving into an idea of anti-God principles. And we wonder many times, why is there so much chaos in our world? Well, it's because we've left God. It's because we have forsaken the one who makes all things wonderful, who makes all things great. So the last thing that I want us to look at, the last reality of living free is the power to love others. So not only is it a responsibility, not only is it a calling, but it is also power to love others. And we see that in the last part of verse 13. If you'll look there, Galatians 5, 13, the Bible says this. But serve one another through love. And then verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the word love comes back into the picture here. And we saw that back in verse 6 where Paul said this. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. And here he's bringing love back into this picture in this warning to the Galatians not to devour each other, not to use their freedom for wickedness that or hurt others, because he wants us to understand where love originally comes from. Love originates with God. We can love because God first loved us. Don't ever let that confuse you. And one thing that I try to counsel couples who want to be married in premarital counseling is I always try to get them to understand that you really can't love each other unconditionally until you know Christ. And that's one reason why I will not marry a Christian to a non-Christian. Um, because of that reason, because I don't believe a Christian and non-Christian getting married can love each other unconditionally as God commands. And, and that's so essential in marriage. Because, listen, remember I said Christ was our example. 
Christ showed us love in that he died for us. He gave us an example of now how we are to conduct ourselves in marriage. The Bible teaches us, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So if you don't know the Jesus who gave himself for you, how can you give yourself for your spouse? And that's a very important concept. And here Paul is bringing this full circle into this understanding of freedom. That love should propel us not to misuse our freedoms in Christ. Love should propel us to serve others. To do things that are going to bring them closer to Jesus and not pull them further away. To do things that are not going to offend them or hurt them in an unneeded way. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 say this. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, listen, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. Here we understand that God initiates love. Not only does God initiate salvation and freedom, but he initiates love. The Bible says you can love today because God first loved you. Not because you're a loving person, not because you have a tender heart, not because you just happen to be a very moral person, but the only way that you are going to be able to unconditionally love another person is because God loved you first. And the only way that you can love is if you know the God who first loved you. The Bible says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, he didn't just die for those who could give him something in return. Jesus died for everybody, people who could never give him anything in return. He's got it all. And, and, and basically, he had everything to lose when he came and died on the cross. He had everything to give, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. In verse 14, Paul quotes a verse from Leviticus, and this is what he says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, you can take those 47 books and you, and you, can, you can just pull that off just like that. And what Paul is saying is, is the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. If you want to know what the whole law is summed up to be, he's going to tell you right here in verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's really a very profound statement. That you could sum up the entire law of God in one statement to love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and he's trying to get them to understand what grace is. He's trying to get them to understand that he is the Lamb that was foretold who would come and save the world from their sins in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees refused to believe him, and they hated him for it. They tried to stone him several times, and ultimately, they led in the crucifixion of Christ. But in Matthew 22, verse 36, the Bible says this, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, all the law 
and the prophets depend on these two commands. So then you step back and you think, well, wait a minute, is Paul contradicting Jesus? Because Paul is here saying in verse 14 that all the law hinges on the one command to love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus says there's two great commands, loving God with everything in you and then loving your neighbor as yourself. So is Paul contradicting? Well, the answer is no, Paul is not. And here's why Paul is not contradicting. Because if you're able to love your neighbor as yourself, the first command has already been met. Because you can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you first love God and know God and know his love for you. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, I'm going to condense it down a little bit further. Because if you're loving your neighbor and if you're serving your neighbor, you've already done number one. You've already entered into a relationship with God. You already love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. He's saying, you're already there. So now, listen, finish well and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal. You're not going to kill. You're not going to commit adultery. And if you're already to this place, well, you're not worshiping idols because you've already loved God or else you wouldn't have the power to love your neighbor and to serve your neighbor. He's saying it all hinges on this. Now, the difference between grace and law, the difference between those who lived during the Old Testament times and those who now live in the New Testament times is that we don't have a detailed law to live by. We don't have black and white, this is okay, this is not, this is okay, this is not. In the, in the time of grace, in the freedom that we have now, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, we have the, the, the great commands, and we have a lot of guidance in the New Testament. But the reason that we're able to live right is not because we're obeying a law, but it's because the Holy Spirit lives within us, and he leads us, and he guides us. In other words, when you do something wrong, hey, listen, I don't have to pull out a, a scroll and read the law to you for you to know that you just did something wrong. Because the Holy Spirit has already told you that you've done something wrong. He's the one speaking to you. It's a love relationship, a one-on-one -on -one love relationship. And what Paul is saying to the Galatians is he's saying, this great privilege that you have, this great freedom that Christ has given you, where you are free to, to, to live in a relationship with him, to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, to be free to make these decisions, hey, don't use it for wrong, but use it for good. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and really nourish that relationship. Hey, when you spend time in the Word of God and you spend time in prayer and you spend time around God's people, God uses that as a way to strengthen your relationship with Him. And listen, God never moves, right? I mean, if, if our relationship struggles, it's because of us, not because of Him. And that's why many times we do need to think about that. God initiates Okay, remember that. God initiates love. God initiates salvation. God initiates the freedom. And then we are left with the responsibility. What are we going to do with that freedom?